0: I've been looking forward to uh, being here with you guys for quite a few months now. It is an honor always to bring God's word uh, to God's people. Uh, As Matt said, my wife and I, we served a little over 20 years. We're not going to deep dive into what we did there. What we're going to do is show you a video that will encapsulate the 20 years in about six minutes. Uh, The video takes up as you are hiking in. Uh, by the way, Papua New Guinea is the big island right above Australia. It's uh, bigger than the state of California, has over 860 distinct languages. Our job was to bring the gospel to one of those language groups that had never had a chance to hear the gospel. Uh, the, tra- the video takes up. You're about two minutes from our house. Uh, we're right down there on the equator. We uh, The temperature there is between 100 and 120 every single day of the year. We get about 300 inches of rain a year. Uh, so we have walked through hours of swamps before we get into the dry ground that you will see as you're walking toward our house. So after that, uh, we'll get into God's Word.
1: The idea of living in the villages was new to the Ittedis. The Ittedis, by nature were nomadic people. As one would guess, it was a shock for us to initially live among the Ittedis. We knew nothing of their language, and they knew nothing of ours. As different as they seemed to be, we found that they too didn't enjoy having lice in their hair, spending long amounts of time to pick or squish the lice and nits. Climbing beetle-nut trees to pick the nuts themselves is something every boy learns to do. Gathering beetle nut and chewing it is like their version of having a cup of mocha. It's also the preferred way of cleaning up bad breath. The majority of their time was spent just gathering food, planting gardens, hunting pigs, or poisoning fish. These were great times for our kids too. Raising them among the Teddies was something we've never regretted. As my days were occupied with learning to speak their language, Beth would be doing medical work daily giving shots, antibiotics, worm treatments, eye ointments. This was one way of loving the Etetes that they could understand long before we could present the message of Christ to them. Nevertheless, death is relentless, especially in a climate like theirs. For the Etetes' death was a supreme frustration, the ultimate evidence their manipulation of the spirit world was not adequate. that they were subject to a power that was out of their control. Finally, in 1985, after four and a half years of studying their language and culture, we were able to begin teaching them of God's love for them, how he showed that love by sending his son, the Christ. no background, this took seven months of teaching, five days a week. Finally, in March of 1986, the first Teddy man in the history of the world came to understand Jesus had come and died for his sins. Så er der en af de blående tanker. Og i masseret. Og jeg siger, Say i
0: masseret. Hej, jeg tror det er den, der sagde på dig. Jeg sagde syvende, jeg er så. Jeg er en af mig. Jeg er en af mig. Jeg siger, det i My dad was in the Navy, I was born in San Francisco, and I remember uh, my mom was a Christian and she used to bring me to Sunday school, bring me to church, and it was horrible. I hated it, Um, and the worst of it all was when they had a mission Sunday. I couldn't figure out why would a person do this thing? Couldn't you get a real job? Did you get beat up a lot as a kid? Didn't you have any friends? And uh, it just baffled me that people would go and live in places like this. And then uh, my dad got transferred to San Diego. I uh, found Christ when I was a senior in high school, Uh, had my life all planned out. I was was the captain of our school, surf team, I was gonna go pro, but this youth pastor, he taught God's word with such clarity. I could not get around it. He crushed our dreams. He crushed our dreams with the word of God, all the things that we wanted to do. Uh, His message, way before it was cool, way before people were singing songs about, it's all about him, it's all about him. He was teaching us, it's all about him, it's not about you. It's not about your desire, it's not about your passion, it's not about your preference, it's not about your gifts. What does God want to see accomplished? We've got to hone in, folks, because we live in a weird age. History has been turned on its head. Turn your Bibles back to Genesis chapter 11. Today I want to uh, do, we're not going to do a deep dive, we don't have any time like that. But uh, man, some of the issues within missions today are very disconcerting. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if, how many years you've been in a church, but I really feel there's a lot of God's people that think like the idea of the Great Commission It's kind of like uh, the national debt. We're never gonna see it done. We just keep kicking the can down the road, keep kicking we're gonna have missions conferences forever because we're never gonna see the Great Commission accomplished. And you know what, at the rate we're doing it, we're right, it's true. We keep making the same mistakes, we keep sending people to the same languages that have access to the gospel. And right now, this morning, we've gotta get our heads around this. 3,100 languages on this planet with nothing of the gospel. There's a lot of languages that have something of the gospel. They don't have as much as we have here in Southern California. But they have access to the gospel in their language. But right now, this morning, 3,100 languages with nothing of the gospel in their language. Folks, that's what we need to be doing to complete the Great Commission. So our frontline missionaries, if we're going to move the needle on the Great Commission, our missionaries must be learning two languages. We had to, when we got to New Guinea, we had to learn Melanesian. Just for talk, we walk in. Now we talk Pidgin. I suppose you put some Gubra Yalong in, but no plaharam. 'Cause I think about how little people have. And I got plenty of you living, come up along this blab. That's beyond about go town, looking people, and but also can't get people to stop and below you. And that's the first language we had to learn just to buy a loaf of bread and get a taxi and do life in the towns. And that's great. But you know what? There are hundreds of churches in Papua New Guinea that speak Melanesian. But to go inside and to learn the language of the e people would take us years. The first languages are relatively easy. I say big air quotes, relatively easy, because you have books, you have headphones, you have instructors, you have a controlled environment, you've got a school. But you go inside to those 3,100 languages that don't have any of those things, man, it takes years. It took us triple the time to learn the second language that it did the first one. But that's what's got to be done. And so the majority of our first six years was just learning language, learning language. We arrived among the Teddies in 1979. She was 22, I was 23, we were kids. It was only until 1985, living among them for over six years before we could begin to present the message of Christ. Why do we do it? Because he's worthy. He does want to be honored among every tongue, tribe, and nation. He will be worshiped among every tongue, tribe, and nation. But he won't be, he will be, but I'll tell you what, it's taken us a long time to get there because we keep doing the same things in missions. Uh, Missionary allocation, where are they going and why are they going there? We've got to put a a bright light on these issues. We're picking up here in Genesis 11. You guys know the story of the Tower of Babel. Let's pick up in verse 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word how privileged we are that we walk before a God who decided to communicate with us. It's intrinsic to who you are. You're communicating, God, and we don't know everything about you, but we know more than enough to honor you with our lives. So God, would you set aside these minutes? Would you make, in fact, this building a sanctuary? The issues of health and finances and, and tasks to do tomorrow, relationships. Lord, could we put them out of our minds for these few minutes and focus on you and your word and what you've communicated, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 4, God had very clearly told them to scatter, and yet it says this in verse 4, And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower, whose top will reach into the heavens, and let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city. He watched their rebellion, and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the tower. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. It's interesting that when god of heaven wanted to scatter people he did not necessarily create religions that's that's a one that's one very effective way to do it create some you know three or four or five religions and people are going to scatter they're going to go to their own but he did not do that uh, he did not ge- uh, geographically teleport them to various parts of the planet uh, there's other ways he could have scattered them. But what he did was he touched them at the level that they're most like the had themselves. He, the communication aspect. He touched their tongues and he knew that by touching their tongues they would have no choice but to scatter. And so, and, and God, believe me, God was very effective in doing that. The languages that he has created, they are baffling beyond belief. Fascinating and uh, heart crushing uh, to learn. He did a great job when he did that. But we already read this but we're going to read it again. Turn the page over to Genesis chapter 12. So in chapter 11, God wants to scatter the people. And he does a great job. But now, at the outcalling of Abraham, we see the beginning of God bringing all these scattered languages back to him. And this is how he did it. We already read this. We're not going to read it in totality. But we will go back to verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, "'Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great.'" And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, it's an interesting choice of words there. That word family, uh, sometimes it's it's translated people's. Family is a much better translation. Because there's something unique about a family. Something really unique about a family. We've seen the language aspect uh, right in the crosshairs in chapter 11. The one thing about a family is they all speak the same language. They can have different uh, jobs. They can live geographically in different places. They can actually hold to different religions. There's all kinds of variations that can happen at the family level. But at the nuclear family level, there will always be this in common. The language that mom and dad spoke around the table is going to be the heart language of those kids forevermore. They can learn other languages. They can do business in other languages. But their worldview is created in the heart language that they learn around the kitchen table. And so God disperses the people. And now he calls out Abram to be the one that would bring all these families back, all these different tongues of people back to being worshipers of him. Israel was raised up for that purpose, and then we see that thread running throughout all of the Old Testament. We're not gonna take time this morning to go into every uh, large situation there, but we see God's emphasis, man, I will be honored among the nations, I'll be honored among the nations, I'll be honored among the nations. We look at the book of Psalms, and uh, it's fun to actually read the book of Psalms with this in mind. Uh, At least one out of every three of the Psalms, uh, David speaks of the nations, the peoples, the seas, David, who this man after God's own heart, realized that the God of heaven, he's too big to be only Israel's God. He's got to be the worldwide God. How do you contain him? And so David would write with that in mind. But let's scoot ahead. Somebody asked me this morning, what's the title of the message? And I had to make one up on the fly. The last words of Jesus, okay? So scoot ahead to Matthew chapter 26, chapter 26. We're going to see again this strategy carried forward into the New Testament. Now Jesus is going to take the whole thing and he's going to take it to a much different level, of course, through the church would be his tool. In verse 30 of chapter 26, this is the night before the crucifixion, says this, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Galilee. There's the first reference. What's going to happen to Galilee? Why does he specify Galilee? I think we all know where this is going to go. Turn over to chapter 28. He said it once in chapter 26. We go to verse <clears throat> chapter 28. Uh, this is uh, following the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And uh, two women have uh, run to the tomb or they want to go check out what's uh, gone on at the tomb. The two ladies get there and there's a uh, There's an angel there. In verse 5 it says, And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was laying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. There it is again, Galilee, from the mouth of the angel. Jesus said it before he was crucified. Now from the mouth of the angel, it's communicated again. He's going to meet you in Galilee. So the ladies, um, verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Folks, this is the most foretold meeting in history. At this meeting that happens in Galilee, Jesus is going to turn roughly 1,800 years of Jewish history completely on its head. The outstanding orders for the people that were rightly related to God was to stay in the land, stay in the land, stay in the land, stay in the land. And you know what's coming in Galilee. We don't know how many days or maybe even a couple weeks. We're We're not privy to how long these alerts were before they actually met up. But we'll pick up in verse 16 of the same chapter here. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated. We're not privy to that also. We don't know. So There's speculation on that. But they get to Galilee. No doubt they're interested. What's going to happen here? Why the, why the preamble? Why the three different uh, alerts? And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. I'm so glad Matthew included that in there. Yeah, I'll tell you what. We're a skeptical people. We really are. I I have lost track of the amount of folks who have come up to me after a message like this or various other ones. and I I would go to the mission field if I only knew. If I only knew. And I want to say, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not that bold. Um, But you know what? Having absolute certainty has not always been the cure. Man, some of God's greatest people had absolute certainty that God was speaking and they still disobeyed. You now we see Moses getting to the top of Mount Sinai. He's walking around up there, and uh, he sees a bush burning over there, and uh, that's kind of weird, and then the bush starts talking, and the bush says, uh, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. What does Moses do? Is that really you, God? I don't know. I see this kind of stuff all the time. He knows it's God, so he takes his shoes off. God tells him a couple other things, and then God delivers the whammy blow. I want you to go back to Egypt and get my people out. What's he start doing? He starts playing 20 questions with God. I don't even know your name. My tongue doesn't work so good. And finally God has to put him in a half-nail, and slam him to the mat, and he taps out. He knew it was God. Some doubted. Some doubted. Man, we got uh, we got Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Did he doubt it was the voice of God? No, he knew it was the voice of God. So he goes down to Tarshish. What's he do? God provided a boat so he could be disobedient, and then God provided the money so he could pay the fee. And then, oh, I love this one here because I've heard I have a piece about it. I have a piece about the course in life that I am pursuing. You know what? Jonah got down into the hold of the boat. Man, the storm's going crazy. People are throwing stuff overboard. And you know what? Jonah went to sleep. He had a peace about his disobedience. I remember when I was a missions pastor at my home church in San Diego, I had two men, different times. They came in and they told me how God was leading them to divorce their wives. We can talk ourselves into anything. We can validate any course of life we want to do in direct contrast to the word of God. We're capable of doing it. Heard of a yeah, I don't want to another situation where you find enough counselors that will tell you what you want, you can do anything you want, even in the Christian world. It's easy to do. Man, Matthew could put that in there. Some doubted. Yeah, man, I, I have to include myself in that in those ranks. Guys, I've doubted. Oh man, too many times. But it goes on. The passage goes on. <clears throat> And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I'm reading from a Bible I'm not always reading from. That's the most powerful preamble in Scripture. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, we've read that so many times. I know this is a solid biblical church here, so I know you guys are very familiar with this. This is not the first time. It's probably the 50th time you heard that. There's nothing like that preamble. Jesus had many preambles. very, rarely saying to you, he has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, Jesus Jesus had a lot of go-to phrases, but this one's unique. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Do you know the tone of his voice, I had the privilege of translating the scriptures for the Italian people. The tone of his voice here is Peter, James, John, sit down and shut up. I'm not getting into a discussion with you. This is not a back and forth dialogue. I'm giving orders. I hung on a cross. I shed my blood. I bought you. I am king of kings, lord of lords, alpha and omega. So listen well to what follows. Unfortunately, this has become like white noise in the church. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, I don't know if you noticed in the video. um, But the, the the sounds of the jungle. Uh, the, the, the jungle is a deafening sound, really. It's just always there. The, 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 depending on the animal, tents on the far, frogs, standing on the birds, the, 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 the sound of the jungle changes from early morning to morning to noon to hot afternoon to the evening to the night. It's always changing, but it's always the sound. Except the weirdest thing, <clears throat> when there's an earthquake, the silence begins to come at you. The bugs, the birds, the frogs, they feel the earthquake coming and they shut down. They make no noise. It's, it's scary, actually, to hear silence like that. Because the white noise, you get so used to it. Folks, we are in danger of Jesus' words becoming white noise. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Drop your lives. Drop your lives. so Folks, everything I'm saying to you is plagiarism. I mean, I learned it from a youth pastor. Uh, I was one of 13 individuals because we had a constant outflow from our church of people pursuing missions because of the youth pastor that had a vision for the world, the world, the world. He had the biggest youth group in Southern California at the time, 500 to 1,000 every Wednesday night. And he lived in a trailer with an extension cord plugged into the church. He had credibility you don't get in school. He had a life that was all about living out the words of Jesus. And he knew he was too old. He was a really, really old guy. He was like 42 years old. (laughs) He had had aged out of this thing, but he was determined to push us, push us, push us. Um, We called him the dream. We had a lot of bad names for him. Nobody really liked him, okay, because he taught us God's word. He was not cool, but he taught us God's word. He taught us God's word. He taught us God's word. And these are the things I could not get around. I claim to be a follower of Jesus. I claim that he purchased my salvation. I claim that he is worthy. But I don't want to go to Uga Booga Land. Straight up. But how do I get around this? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How do I get around that? Like I said, my dad was in the Navy 45 years. One of the first things I learned as a boy, you got outstanding orders, you got contravening orders, then you got last orders. And last orders supersede everything else. Now folks, we've we've read our Bibles. We know that Jesus talked about my responsibility as a husband, as a father, to my talents, you know, talents in various ways, to religious and civil authority. Jesus had many, many topics that he touched on, and we must, as his people, give them their due. But at the end of the day, the last things coming out of our Savior's mouth to his people, leave Israel, you go to them. No longer do the nations come to you, you go to them. Flipping history right on its head. Man, I'm sure for those guys who first hear this, like, what? What? Go to the dogs? we were dogs uncircumcised you know the rabbinic sects that were debating whether gentiles even warrant heaven or hell afterlife yeah leave the land of promise oh man that'd be like ian coming up here next sunday morning okay we're gonna do something different here at del rey church um everybody stand up take your clothes off we're gonna sing praises to god naked all right, a couple guys in the back, okay, Ian says to do it, let's go. But you know, for the most part, like, what in the world was Ian doing last night? And I'm guessing there are some of the disciples like, what, leave, leave Israel? Go to the dogs? Go to the Gentiles? Go to Samaria even? Get, whoa. And their response pretty much indicates that it, this did not sink in deeply to them quickly at that point in time. He doesn't ask them to pray about it. You know, one of the things I love down at Radius is uh, about two weeks into the school, the new students all come, and I'd say probably a third of them will talk about a call, kind of mystical, kind of fuzzy, woo, you know, <laughs> something floating through the room there. <clears throat> and uh, then finally, after about two weeks, every, everybody can admit, the only reason I'm here, there's two things they'll say. I really don't want to be here. I'm scared to death. I really don't want to be here. But I'm hemmed in by what I've seen in God's word. How can I do other? I don't want to do this, but how can I do? My Savior wants to be worshipped among every tongue, tribe, and nation. I've had people come up to me and say, Brad, man, you're so passionate about missions. No, not really. Surfing is my passion. But my Savior is passionate about being known. And I must die to my passion. I mentioned this earlier. We live in a weird age. I remember Beth and I coming home on furloughs in 1983, our first furlough. I went to a big youth conference, and I heard something from the front. It was kind of kind of weird. I probably heard that wrong. 88 came home, heard a similar thing. 94, went to a similar conference, and now people aren't alluding to it. Now this is in the air. How do you find God's will for your life? In contrast to about 1,980 years of Christianity, where you looked into God's word, you find out what your God is all about, and you pursue him and his passion, that's historic Christianity. But you know what it's like today? How do you find God's will for your life? You don't look here. You look here. What am I good at? What am I gifted at? What am I passionate about? What gets me going? What energizes me? And you do that for God. Folks, I'm not sure what corner of hell that idea was launched in, But I'm grateful that the Lord Jesus didn't operate on that. When he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? Knowing what's ahead, he fell to his knees. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Why? Because he wasn't wired. He wasn't gifted. He didn't get off on nails in his hand. He didn't have a passion for that. But he finished that prayer like you and I must finish that prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, not my passion, not my desire but thine be done. Folks, as the people of God, we must know his word and we must live his word out. We raise our children different than the world. We raise our children as offerings. I didn't even know this concept existed until I married my wife. Uh, My wife was raised with the understanding you are expendable for your king. You're expendable. You're expendable. Uh, Man, I felt like a spiritual munchkin marrying her. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The word nations there, I know you've been taught this. It's not, you go to Papua New Guinea, you go to Botswana, you go to Mozambique, you go to China. That's not the word nation. The phrase here speaks of Mantata ethni*, The ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. What does that mean? We're going to the language groups, because go to UCLA, USC, talk to any anthropological teacher. The number one component of ethnicity is language. Language must be key to how we allocate our missionary resources. Are you going to a language group that has no access to the gospel? Yeehaw, we're going to get behind you. We're going to put off our retirement. We're going to sell our house and move into a smaller one. We will be behind you as a people of God. Because that's what we need to do to fulfill the last words of our Savior here. Every language group has to be represented. A lot of other things we could say about that. Turn over to Mark chapter... 16. We'll see the same thing, just written down a little bit differently. The big dispute goes on. Is this in the originals? Is it not? You can figure that one out. But these two both take place on a mountainside in Galilee. And that location is going to be important. Let's keep that in mind. This was very clearly a mountainside in Galilee. in Chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Okay, that's how Mark records Jesus' orders. Now let's turn over to Luke chapter 24. See it a little bit differently. Luke chapter 24, if we read the whole chapter, and there's a lot in there, but if we were to read the whole chapter, we would realize that this is not a mountainside in Galilee. Jesus is now inside the city of Jerusalem, and he's coming to them in a room. He's made a pretty dramatic entrance. And Let's pick up the theme of this as Jesus is with them now in verse 45 of chapter 24. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, so pause. you got to hit the pause on that. Jesus opens their minds. So they're not just looking at the scriptures. He's actually opening their minds so he can take them to a different level of understanding. What a Bible study that would be. Man, I'm, I'm, you get, I'm coming up here. man. You get Jesus in the pulpit next week, I'm back here. I'm just sitting back there somewhere. I want to hear. What would Jesus focus on? So what does Jesus focus on when he gets... The pulpit. What did Jesus focus on when he got the pulpit? And I think it's pretty interesting. He didn't focus on the family. (gasps) I love my family. Got four kids, wife I still like. Maybe I I like her a lot. (laughs) Four kids that are walking with the Lord. Uh, We're so proud of them. Ten grandkids. Love our family. Jesus didn't focus on the family. What did he focus on when he had the the pulpit? Two things. Verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The number one theme of Scripture is not missions. It's the gospel. That's code. That's shorthand for the gospel. Number one message of Scripture. God looked down from heaven. He saw our need, and he sent his Son. We have a Savior. Praise God. What comes close to that? You and I have life. We have forgiveness. I hope gratitude for forgiveness is not a Sunday school concept for you. And I fear sometimes that as Christians get older and the fact that I was going to burn in hell. And you know what? I appreciated the youth pastor who made that come alive. You're going to burn in hell for your sin. You're going to burn in hell for your sin. That wasn't even trendy back in 1972. But I'll tell you what, it made me come back. I listened to that youth pastor for over six months. Most of the time he wasn't sharing the gospel. When he did share, I listened carefully. How he shared the gospel went like this. I'm boiling it down. What Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you could do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. It's a done deal. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. All you can do is fall on your knees and say, thank you, God, and accept it as the gift that it is. But you do need to understand that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him from that moment on. So think it through. And I did. I thought it through. And I thought it through. And I thought it through. And he made hell come alive so much that finally, beginning of my senior year, like I said, I got saved. He didn't focus on the family. And he said to them, the gospel, verse 46, and he said to them, it is, <clears throat> thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And then verse 47, and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached, proclaimed in his name to all nations, pantata ethne, beginning from Jerusalem. And it did begin at Jerusalem, and ha- it has not gotten to all nations the church will be victorious at some point, but we're not victorious. And in regard to the thing that God, our Savior, said so clearly, and there's no disputing these things. I'll tell you what, man, you get into some of the parables, man, they're hard to translate. Man, what was Jesus really trying to say there? Yeah. These things here that Jesus said at the end of his life, they're easy to translate. It's just hard to live it out. It's just hard to live it out. It's hard to raise our kids as expendable. Give them a vision for the world, the world. I know most of the moms and dads here, you're, you're told to do it. But we'll just be straight up. You know, and you can't be, you're not too old to be involved, but you're too old to go to the tip of the spear and take the gospel to one of those 3,100 language groups. They live in hard-to-get-to places. They just do. But you can raise your kids. And you can give a ton. And you can find people that are getting trained, that are out there. This couple that's here now from North Africa. Encourage them and get behind them. Traumatically so. <clears throat> Folks, I remember Beth and I, this was, she, I think it was that same furlough in 1988. Some of the things that we do in the church today are, <clears throat> are baffling to me. Um, there was going to be, there was a man, still, he's still alive, and uh, a tremendous blessing had helped the cause of Christ in many, many ways, and he was going to be honored by some of the bigger churches in San Diego. So uh, Beth and I were invited to, to go there. We, somebody bought us tickets. I had to wear a tie, yeah, and uh, she had a new dress and all that and so it's not a setting i'm real comfortable with and so we're one of the masses sitting out there and then you get the die up there you know and and the bigger names in christendom and san diego uh, they're saying wonderful things about this brother and uh you know, praise god you know i'm grateful for the guy and so finally he stood up to uh, accept this award that he was being given that evening and uh, he gets the award, and he starts into his remarks. And you know what? Hey, if, if you're talking 10, 15 minutes up here, my wife will tell me, as we're driving to San Diego, she'll tell me that you shouldn't have said that, you shouldn't have said that, you shouldn't have said that. Okay. So th- th- there's things I will eat on the way home, okay? I get that. It's part of you and me. But he said this, he said this, and I'm not real quick on my feet, but he said this, with great passion, make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord. And people started clapping, and then they started standing up. Well, I'm not going to be the one guy not standing up and clapping. So I'm like, what's wrong with that? Nah, nah, nah. We're driving back to our house, and it hit me. It hit me. That would be kind of like saying, make it your highest goal in life not to sell cocaine. Make it your highest goal in life not to get involved in human trafficking. Make it your highest goal in life not to shoot your governor. Ah, touching a nerve. (laughs) You get it. That's like, duh. That's Christianity 101. Of course we don't get involved in human trafficking. Of course we don't sell cocaine. Of course we raise our kids to live and love and serve the Lord Jesus. That's duh 101. Tell you what, we're in danger of losing our way. Our highest goal was given to us by the one who hung on a cross. He said, I want to be known. I want to be doing. Yes, raise your kids to live for me. Yes, be good employers. Be good employees. Yes, be good community servants. And figure out your place. Not your church's place. And I remember being on the missions, being missions pastor there. Uh, yeah, we had 20% of the people that uh, were actually carrying the ball of the missions effort in our church. And the other 80% were just sliding by. Our church does this. Our church does that. Individually, men, women. This is your highest goal. To see Christ proclaimed to every tongue, tribe, and nation. As families, this is your highest goal. He gave it to you. This isn't me. Blow off everything I'm saying. But you must submit to the clear communication that our Savior gave to us. And yes, that is this church's highest goal. To see Christ proclaimed in the neighborhood. And to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And to do that, man, we have to have parenting classes. We have to have marriage. We have have to do the things that churches must do to see whole Christian lives set forward to embark on this great cause. But folks, let's not spin our wheels. It's about much more than my church in San Diego or your church here. We could go to John chapter 20, as the Father sent me, so send I you. We're not going to take time for that one there. But we will go over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And uh, so we've seen Jesus on a mountainside in Galilee. We've seen Jesus come into a room in Jerusalem. And now here, the the setting, the location is very clearly uh, the Mount of Olives, a mount right outside of Jerusalem. Third separate setting, same final message. Does that tell you how important this is? Verse 6 of chapter 1. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Well, that's a pretty innocent question. Uh, based on prophecy, major minor prophets uh, following the coming of the Messiah, and they were in no doubt that he was the Messiah, following the coming of the Messiah, Israel would be restored to national greatness. So their, 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 their question had a basis. But you know what? Uh, Jesus realizes something. You over there, John, you're going to write a lot of stuff about end times. You'll get that. Uh, There's a guy walking around now. His name is Saul. He'll turn into Paul. He'll write some things on end times. Peter, you're actually going to write some things. You'll get that. They wanted to have a Bible study on eschatology. And Jesus says, no. No. It's not a bad topic. Most of what the church is doing today, in fact, I'd say everything the church is doing today is good. But is it on point? Is it really helping us move the needle on fulfilling the thing that Jesus left us behind to do? We're busy. I know we're all busy. I get that. That's not even a doubt. What are, what are we busy about? And so Jesus, in essence, he says, no, I'm not having a Bible study with you on end times. I only get one more thing to put into your ears. And this is what it's going to be. <clears throat> Verse 7. It is not for you to know the times are... Epochs the Father has fixed by his own authority. You don't need to know that now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the (coughs) remotest part of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jerusalem has the gospel. My sister's worked in Israel for many years. (coughs) Judea has the gospel. Samaria has the gospel. There's only one part of this that hasn't been fulfilled. The remotest parts of the earth. 3,100 language groups. Some are in the thousands, some are in the tens of thousands, some are actually in the millions. And nobody, they can hike around the planet and not find anyone who can share Christ with them in their heart language. Did you know, I'll just use this as an else, we keep sending people to India. India's huge. India could swallow, and there's nothing wrong with India. Those souls are important to God too. I get that. But folks, we need to be strategic about this. We've got to become strategic about this. <clears throat> when, uh, when we had lived among the teddies for, gosh, maybe a year, uh, our second son, Brandon, he came down. We did not know this, he came down with uh, malaria. And uh, it took us a few days to finally cave to the idea he might have malaria. And so uh, Beth crushed up some and shoved it down his throat. And uh, uh, about half hour later, uh, he threw that up. And so she had to draw up a shot of chloroquine and give that to him. And his fever at that point in time was about 102. <clears throat> he's a little guy, you know, like I said, he's probably about 18 months old. And he's thrown up and uh, getting diarrhea. And uh, man, the fever's going up, fever's going up. Man, the chloroquine's tough stuff. It'll break the fever. I know it'll break the fever. And this is a Tuesday evening. Wednesday morning, we woke up, and the fever's now playing around with 104. He's thrown up uh, on Wednesday. Uh, around noontime, his eyes began to roll. And we realized that we're losing our son. And uh, we called out to the nearest missionary, hey, Tom, can you come and get us? And Tom had a boat. We, had, we were on a side of an impassable river. And it would take Tom until Thursday morning to get up there. <coughs> and uh, missionaries were praying all over New Guinea for the life of our son. And uh, we got up super early Thursday morning. Uh, I had uh, Brandon, I had another Teddy carrying Brooks. And we uh, crossed through uh, what was going to become the airstrip and, and through a little trail. And uh, there were about eight Teddy men standing there. I couldn't speak their language yet. There was one guy who could speak Melanesian. I could speak Melanesian. <coughs> and uh, obviously they wanted to talk. And uh, so the guy that could speak, <coughs> speak Melanesian, he says, uh, what are you doing? I turned my nearly lifeless son's head around. I said, can't you see my son? He's nearly dead. We want to try and get him some help. I said that to him. He said that to the other guys that were standing there. And you know what they did? They began to laugh. Blah, 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 talking in that crazy Uga booga land talk that I could not understand. I was furious. They were making light of my son's life. So I asked the fellow, what are they saying? Mm-mm, mm-mm. What, are they, mm-mm, mm-mm. what are they saying? Finally told me what they're saying. He said, He's dead already. Go back to your house. He'll die completely this afternoon. You can bury him here. You can have more kids. Grow up. I wanted to reach across and start pulling their throats right out of their necks. I want to watch them flip like fish on the deck of a boat as they just spurt. I hated them. They were so cavalier with the life of my son. Why do I even tell you that, folks? Why do I even tell you that story? We hiked down the trail, Grannon lived. Fever broke. The reason I tell you that, folks, is because this is important. We need to understand this. It's not about how sad the e teddies were. You see the pictures. Not how sad, you know, you know they live in hard places and you know they don't have this they don't have that they don't have health care they don't have education they got a lot of diseases they're they're part of the equation don't get me wrong they're part of the equation but they're not the supreme issue the other thing we need to understand is we're not the supreme issue I want to I don't want to I'm drawn to it I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm gifted I'm not we're not the we're not the big issue folks the big issue of people who claim to be under the authority of the word of God our God has spoken And all we do is salute. Yes, sir, where do I fit in? So for you who have maybe glided by on the coattails of the church, you better be asking yourself the question, where do I fit in? Talk to the church leadership here. We raise our kids differently. And I will say this, folks, in light of what Jesus has said, if we claim to be people under the word of God, if our health allows for it, we report for duty to the leadership of this church. Should I be going overseas? Should I be going overseas? And you let your leadership walk through you with that issue. Don't take yourself unilaterally. I have met too many people in their 40s and 50s, 60s. The guilt, every missions conference, why didn't I go? Why didn't I do this? Talk to your church leadership. And I'm not saying everybody who talks to the church leaders is going to be gone. Of course not. You guys, can't, as a church, can't support that. But there should be a constant outflow because there are people that are capable of living in those conditions, learning the languages, enduring, enduring, getting over the issue of thriving. We joke about that at Radius. Just take the word thrive right out of your vocabulary. You're a follower of Christ, you learn to endure, endure, because he's worthy. And at the end of the day, anything that we walk away from with our little teeny life down here, we'll be so glad we walked away and embraced him and what he's all about. We can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul. Let's turn over there, Romans chapter 15. We read Romans 10, but Paul's heart, may we recover some of this. Romans chapter 15, we're picking up in the middle of a thought here, so forgive the stuttering this. Verse 17 Paul was always having to answer accusers, not so much in this book, but maybe in this chapter a little bit of that. He says in verse 17 of chapter 15, Therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reasons for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem all the way around as far as Illyricum I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Thus I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named. That I might not build on another man's foundation. As a church, pray that God would give you warriors with that heart that would go beyond where the gospel's ever been before. He's worthy. And there will be casualties. We have buried people from my church. I've buried missionaries overseas. I remember pulling Richard Rowe as he piled into a mountainside, pulling the body parts out, and we would bury Richard. Uh, there are casualties, and he's worthy. And he's worthy. And he's worthy. Folks, we must come back to the word of God directing our individual lives, our family direction, the church's direction. Step forward. Talk to your leadership around here. Where do you fit in? It's a, it's a worthy question of much of your afternoon, even discussions. You know, and the, the enemy's so faithful. He will rob. I'm always thankful when I'm not talking during football season. I have very little confidence that the average American male is going to be thinking about anything said on a Sunday morning during football season. But we're in baseball season. You guys have gone through a lull here and the potters are getting smoked. So it's real easy for me to just think on these things. Folks, don't let the enemy snatch the clarity of God's word from your hearts, from your minds. No matter what your age, you have a part to play as a follower of Jesus in this community and beyond this community. Encourage your church leadership. Pray that the Lord of the Harvest would raise up labors from your families, from this church, and you guys will faithfully prepare them and send them out. Father, Thank you again for giving us your word. Where would we be without it? Second to giving up your own son on that cross, Lord. We are just uh, baffled, perplexed, and uh, staggered at the thought of not having direction given from your mouth, your lips, your heart. Lord, help us to be people that hear your word, that do your word. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this congregation. May you bless them. May you give them the courage to think through where they fit into your plan May they approach their church leadership and together work out who should be the next to go, how will we support them, how do we prepare them here adequately, Lord. May this church be a launching ground for many, that there would be many languages reached from the men and women in this church, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.